You know we love our surf music here on Monster Kid Radio, and this week we're kicking things off with a new song from the band The Lost Cosmonauts. They're a surf band based out of Washington, D.C. They just released a new EP, Halloween Day. It's called Ranger. Four songs on there. All of them are really cool. This one is called Numbers Stations, and they gave us permission to play it on this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook, your writer, producer, and host. I have survived Halloween, and I hope you guys and gals have as well. I'd love to hear how Halloween went for you guys and gals, what kind of things you got up to, what kind of movies you watched, what kind of events you went to, that sort of thing. We'll talk a little bit about how you can share that Halloween goodness with us later in this episode. This episode will be dropping on the evening, late, late evening of October 32nd, morning of October 33rd, also known as November 1st and November 2nd for the rest of the world. Hope you enjoy what we've got cooked up. Let me tell you what we got cooked up. We're going to talk about a movie with a dear friend of mine, but before we get to that, we have some feedback, some voicemails about last week's episode. Hello, Derek. Anthony Wendell of the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack and MonkeysFightingRobots.com, the up-and-coming Geek News website. How are we doing? I just heard your most recent episode where you talked Son of Frankenstein with Mr. Dwight Kemper, and I heard you guys debating about an aspect of the movie that had you both puzzled. I myself tried a gatekeeper marathon, as they are calling it, this October, where I tried to watch a film a day to get 31 down. Unfortunately, I only got about 10 in. But those eight of those 10 was rewatching the Universal Legacy Collection so I could check out all of the Frankenstein movies. And I had a thought as I started Son of Frankenstein. As I realized they renamed the town Frankenstein, I, like the pair of you, asked myself, why would they do such a thing? Then it hit me. Baron Frankenstein, the senior father of the washed-out med student who decided to play God, gave the town a lot of money when he died. They di- he did this as a way of trying to smooth things over with the disturbance his son caused. The town was so grateful, they renamed themselves Frankenstein. It also would help to assume this is why the Burgermeisters are doing their best to try and quell the townspeople who are up in arms because they know of Baron Frankenstein's gifts that he gave to the town. Just a little headcan I thought I'd throw your way and thought you might get you thinking about, hey, maybe that's a good idea. Well, talk to you later and as always look out for the giant monsters bye last week we talked about son of frankenstein with dwight kemper and that was something that he and i brought up you know why why name the town frankenstein other than just to have that really cool moment with the cross dialogue from the name and the the town as they're going into town on the train i mean that's a fun moment but why name it head cannon why not i like the idea of it i like it a lot Anthony is a dear friend of the show as well, and uh, you know I haven't had him on in a while. We keep trying to figure out a way to make it happen, but he's got a day job that's kind of racking up the hours for him and not really meshing with my day job hours, so it's been difficult to get him back on, but definitely need to have him back on the show here soon. But I love the idea of the Baron donating a ton of money to the town, 
to make up for his medical student washout son. I <laughs> love that. It's a good call. Thanks for calling in, man. You know, and speaking of last week's episode with Dwight Kemper, the man himself called in. Hello, Derek. It's Dwight Kemper. First of all, looking forward to hearing the broadcast of It, the Terror from Beyond Space, uh, because it is one of my favorite science fiction films. A reason that I'm calling, uh, a little addition to our discussion on Son of Frankenstein, I have recently seen the Blu-ray of Son of Frankenstein that's included in the uh, Frankenstein box set, and there is actually five, six seconds of a scene never before seen before. It happens after we hear uh, Baron Frankenstein talking to Benson about having seen the monster walk, and then we see Bela Lugosi listening in, and then there is a shot of Bela Lugosi motioning the monster to come forward, and the monster comes forward from the caves, and then we cut to the scene where the big wooden pillar opens up and Igor comes out, and then the monster, and then Igor tries to push the pillar back, and the monster just does it with one hand. But there's this new scene that I have never seen a shot of before, and it is my understanding that this is the English print of Son of Frankenstein with five tantalizing seconds of a new scene, never before seen before. Strangely enough, they don't even mention it on the box. So I don't even think they know what they've got. So brand new scene, never seen before, Son of Frankenstein, enjoy. Uh, plus, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, to, see, to hearing about uh, It, the Terror from Beyond Space, because Dabs Greer, who was in It, the Terror from Beyond Space, um, when he was live, he was very, he was very ill, and the... Uh, George Reese fan club asked people to send him cards and letters. So I made a get well card with the monster from it, the terror from beyond space looming over Daps Greer. And it said on the front of it, don't let it get you down. And then you open it up and there's Daps Greer with George Reeves in a scene from uh, the adventures of Superman. It says get well soon. And I still have, a thank you letter from Dabs Greer, and he said that he loved that card so much that he has it by his bedside to lift his spirits. So it, the terror from beyond space, actually lifted the spirits of Dabs Greer. So you take care, and may all your crimes be perfect ones. Goodbye. You know, I almost watched Son of Frankenstein on Halloween Day myself and just didn't get around to it. I, I should have, because if there's that extra couple of seconds in there, man, I would love to see it. And, and I can certainly put in the Blu-ray anytime and, and check it out. Oh, uh, that just sounds awesome. I, you know, uh, just kills me. The universal is sitting on these odds and ends and these little bits of film. And, oh man, I know that they spent a lot of time and money restoring Dracula. I know. And doing a brief, uh, the lightest brushing of a remastering for the other big franchise films for the Blu-ray releases, but man, I would just love to know what they've got and then find a way to help motivate them to release it. You know, uh, last year, the powers that be over at Paramount and CBS released a three-disc set, I think it was three-disc, of 
material that was found in what they called the Star Trek vault. A lot of it's out of context. You know, it's just a little, here's a bit from this episode. Here's a bit from that episode. Here's some storyboards. Here's a bit of audio. We don't have film footage for it, but we found the audio and it's just kind of thrown in there. I would love to see something like that even. I don't need to have it incorporated into the movie, although it'd be awesome if it was. Just give me a Blu-ray or two of whatever you left on the cutting room floor. Even if it's like a take that was ruined because Abbott and Costello were up to their hijinks on Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I want to see that on disc. Just, you know, let us, let us have it, man, you know, and preserve it. Anyway, um, what else did he talk about? The movie we're talking about this week. We were talking about the movie It, The Terror from Beyond Space. I love that story about sending a letter to Dabs. <laughs> it's awesome. I feel like that kind of ability to send get well cards and, and actual like fan club type stuff and, and correspondence to the people that we look up to is, is kind of been lost. Um, social media has kind of replaced that now, but you know, whenever I get an opportunity to send a postcard to somebody, I'm going to do it because I feel like there's something to be said for the written word, something outside of an email, that sort of thing. And, and to have that connection with Dab's Greer, with that card that you sent him and getting a thank you card back, that that's pretty special. And that probably went a long way towards endearing him to you even more. And just, that's amazing. So Dwight, thank you for sharing that story with us. So it the terror from beyond space. I'm going to be talking about that with Scott Morris, the man from Disney, Indiana. I don't think I've talked about Disney, Indiana lately here. And I know I haven't run the promo lately because last month I was doing a whole bunch of horror stuff and I wanted to kind of keep it in theme, but you know what? I'm going to play the promo for Disney, Indiana, as well as a few trailers. We're going to get to all of that right after this. With the atom brain. A motion picture shot full of thrills based on scientific facts described in leading national magazines. You'll be hypnotized. You'll be terrorized. You'll be paralyzed. See a dead man come from beyond the grave. See Columbia Pictures startling. Creature with the atom brain. C-3PO. Loki. Mace Windu. Dr. Bruce Banner. Captain Rex. Venom. Princess Leia. Jean Grey. Darth Maul. Nick Fury. Grand Moff Tarkin. Captain America. Lando Calrissian. Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. 
Fozzie Bear, Buzz Lightyear, Link Hogthrob, Doug, Janice, Merida, Pepe, Bruce, Ralph the Dog, Wally, Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Honeydew. Podcast. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. Johnny Carter. Oh, sure, they're from another planet. What a dilemma for young lovers Steve Terrell and Gloria Castile. You thought I was kidding. Nobody will believe the invasion of the saucer men. All this makes it seem natural for a beer-drinking bull to appoint himself chaperone of Lover's Lane. Hey, for Pete's sake! And a farmer with the longest shotgun you've ever seen plays the villain. What's so funny? It's our busy night, too. We've been flooded with calls from people who say they've seen flying saucers and little green monsters. Wonder how that rumor ever got started. <laughs> it's too fantastic to believe. Just think of it. Only this special unit and the President of the United States will know what happened here tonight. You mean you think we know what's happened? I am Dracula, and I bid you welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And I offer you this warning. Sometimes Derek and his guests get excited and they may spoil a movie or two. You know how excited Monster Kids can get sometimes. If Monster Kid Radio spoils a movie for you, do not come whining to me. I cannot stand whines. Listeners, we are broadcasting from the Challenge 142 in the year 1973. And when I say we, I mean myself and one of my favorite people in the whole wide world who's busy trying to figure out how to make $50,000. Scott Morris, how you doing, man? Scott Morris, secure. <laughs> oh, man, this uh, wow. Okay, so we're talking about a movie that we've already referenced, what, three times at this point? Easily. <laughs> easily, <laughs> easily. A future film set in 1973, the far-off future of 1973. Yes, why weren't they mentioning, like, Watergate and other things? <laughs> Right? A 1973 future in which the women can go on spaceships, but they still have to serve everybody dinner. And clean the plates afterwards. Right. But, you know, there is progress. They at least get to wear pants instead of skirts. Right? That's, that's right. something. Right. Yeah. And they do medical stuff later. Well, you know, I don't I've, I've got nothing here. It's 
<laughs> they were nursing. They were they were. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. We go from nurse. Okay, I get it. Wait staff to nursing. They're moving up. <laughs> oh, wow. Sexism is funny. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio. We're going to talk about it. The Terror from Beyond Space from 1958. And this was uh, something that I wanted to do. We actually kind of put this together at the last minute. I feel bad sometimes. And, and Scott knows this. I've talked to him about this off mic and via email and such that sometimes with Scott, I get so excited about all the things that I want to talk about on the show with him, you know, the Planet of the apes. Uh, what, what's the, uh, the shrinking movie? Fantastic voyage. Fantastic voyage. And Inner uh, space. Yeah. In, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I feel bad because I feel like we get all these movies that we want to talk about here on the show and it kind of loses the, the loose, you know, nature of, of having Scott on the show sometimes. I like just picking a movie and talking about it instead of having an agenda. And this one kind of came together at the last minute. And I'm curious, this was the first time you'd seen the film, right? Well, that was another thing that we really wanted to get back to. And one of the things that we've done on Downplace quite a bit is the movie you'd seen and I hadn't. Now, we've been kind of reversed that for a while with the Apes films as you had not seen those before. And I don't believe you'd seen Fantastic Voyage yet, which is, right. depending on when this episode comes out, it will be a future episode or a past episode. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be in 1973. Okay, in 1973. So, as Derek said, this is a first-time viewing for me, and that was on purpose. We wanted to try to find uh, something to put the roles back to the way uh, they originally were. <laughs> Where I am the master and Scott is the Padawan, is that? Yes, no. that is true. Oh, boy. I'm a young one. Oh. <laughs> My midi-chlorian count is high. <laughs> order 66. Order 66. <laughs> How could that thing have gotten aboard? Why? Just to kill us? What is the usual reason an intelligent creature kills? It's hungry. What made you so certain it's intelligent, Colonel? Not just an animal. It opened the door to see compartment. In the silent void of outer space, puny man matches his cunning against a monster from Mars running rampant, howling for all the flesh and blood on Earth. So it, the terror from beyond space is something that I had seen a couple of years ago. Actually, we were actually just talking about this before we started recording. There are so many movies out there that it's impossible for us to see every single one of them. But there are so many movies out there that we are aware of, we know, we've seen, just not necessarily all at once or in the right order. <laughs> and <laughs> it, the terror from beyond space, before I had seen it from start to finish in order, I, I hadn't seen it all together. I, I knew what was going on. I knew the story. I knew what some of the issues were and, and some of the concerns and complaints about the suit. But I, I hadn't sat down to actually watch it until it came out on Blu-ray not too long ago from all of films. Now, all of films, they're great. They put out some great movies on Blu-ray, movies you would never expect to see on Blu, like this one. I mean, this is barely over an hour long. The downside is that Olive is a bare-bones release company, so there is absolutely nothing on this Blu-ray other than the film. I think there might be a trailer, and that's it. 
which is unfortunate because it's so short. You could have put so much more on that disc, but you know, that's what Olive does. Uh, so that's the first time I saw it a couple of years ago. And man, I really like this one. This hits all the marks for me. And I'm real curious to think, see, uh, to hear, real curious to hear what Scott thought of it. Well, first off, I'm surprised that I had never seen this film. As we've talked about in the past, I've always been more of a science fiction fan than a horror fan growing up. And how this one got past my radar, I don't know. Because this is a perfect you know, 50s sci-fi film, but then you have the elements of horror. But this is one that I really hadn't even heard of too much. So I, I'm confused of how I, I never saw this one. And uh, my first viewing of it was last night. And w- without tipping my hand uh, too much, even a bare-bones Blu-ray is something that uh, I think I may track down. It's a good Blu-ray. There are a few transfer issues here and there, I feel like. But, you know, for what it is, for the source material I'm sure they had access to, it's a good little Blu-ray. And I really dig it. It had to be better than the way that I watched it, which it was uploaded uh, to YouTube in multiple parts. Oh. And then I took the parts and uh, used iMovie on my Mac to put it all together. And it it was watchable, but that's about as far as I'll go. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard sometimes with, with some of these movies when you, yeah, I, I that's a whole different conversation. Yes. Um, <laughs> I would recommend the Blu-ray. The other thing about Olive Films, if I'm remembering right, is they feel like they're kind of high-priced for a bare-bones release. But again, if it's the only way you're going to get the movie on blue and it looks decent and you enjoy the film and it's starting to sound like you did, I would recommend it. And I'm a little surprised, too, this one snuck by you. When you filled out the form, the Be a Guest on Monster Kid Radio, which... By the way, you didn't have to. <laughs> I, I plan on having you back as often as possible. You did make a comment about the science fiction, and it, it occurred to me that we've been really focusing on a lot of horror with you. And from the beginning, you've made it pretty clear with me, just in our friendship, as well as just talking on the show, that you were more of a star kid than a monster kid, if star kid's even really a thing. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that's cool. I was glad to you know dive into some classic 50s sci-fi, because they're fun, too. I love them. And I... I agree with you. This one's kind of a perfect little capsule of what these movies are like, mm-hmm. despite the low budget, despite the fact that they only had six days to make it. It is a <laughs> fun little flick. Uh, looking on Amazon right now, you can get it uh, for sixteen sixty two. Well, that's not too bad. Is how much, but uh, they also offer a DVD midnight movies, double feature that uh, also has uh, the monster that challenged the world. Oh, Nice. For a whole $5.60. Hey, well, you know, (laughs) depending on what your budget and your requirements are, I suppose your needs are. (laughs) I'm surprised that it's packaged with that one. The Monster That Challenged the World is one of those movies that I have seen just in bits and pieces and not in the right order. I'm surprised that's the one it's packaged with because this film, when it was first released theatrically back in the 50s, it was packaged with a movie called Curse of the Faceless Man. Have you seen that one? Uh, No, I have not seen that one. It's an interesting little mummy film. So, of course, I've seen it. (laughs) Uh, Also from the 50s. And it's a cool little flick, too. It's not your traditional mummy film in that it's less about a person in bandages, basically, and more about like a petrified body from the remains of Pompeii, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, kind of unique, I think, for that era for for this type of uh, release anyway. It was released with uh, this film. Chris of the Faceless Man is on Blu-ray as well, but I think Kino put that one out. 
I'd have to double check. They were directed by the same guy, by Edward L. Kahn. I have seen uh, other film by Edward L. Kahn, and that's uh, Invasion of the Saucer Men from 1957. Yeah, that's a good one, too. That's a really good one. And actually, I just watched one the other day. It's not a quote-unquote genre film, but one of the things that I do, and I've mentioned this before, and I'm sure a lot of you guys and gals do this, too, is every weekend or, or once a month or whatever, you go through the listings on Turner Classic Movies just to see what's coming up and then program your DVR accordingly. <laughs> and then a month or two later, you realize you've got your DVR that's like 98% full and you've got to start figuring out what you're going to watch when. And a while back, they had a movie called Experiment Alcatraz on TCM. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of cool. What's that one about? And I just watched that the other day. It's from 1950, released by RKO. Khan directed it. And it's kind of a, a murder mystery type story with some almost science fiction elements thrown in. It's set in the real world. There's this experiment that somebody's doing with radioactivity and radioactive particles and trying to cure some sort of disease. And they get some inmates from Alcatraz to try it on in exchange for their, you know, sentence being commuted. They sign up and, you know, somebody kills somebody and then there's this murder thing. And it's, it's really an interesting little flick again, low budget, but it seems like Edward Kahn really kind of thrived in that type of, uh, production environment. I agree because uh, I, I want to see more of his stuff because I, I like Invasion of the Saucerman even before this. Um, I'm going to say, yeah, I did uh, enjoy this film, uh, It the Terror from Beyond Space, quite a bit. And I will probably try to seek out more of his stuff, if uh, especially this uh, Curse of the Fearless Man, or excuse me, Faceless Man. And that uh, Alcatraz movie also sounds interesting. It was really interesting. I was pretty impressed by it. And you were talking about uh, checking TCM. Uh, what I actually do is I have a Google Calendar, and usually around the first of the month, <laughs> I will go out and I'll look at their entire month schedule and write myself reminders because my DVR, you can only do two weeks in advance. So, And I can vouch for that because Scott and I actually share a calendar according to our podcasting schedule. And every time I pull it up, it's like, oh, that's what Sven Gulli is doing this week because I don't have to look it up. He's already put it on his calendar. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, no, it's. It, I would recommend the experiment Alcatraz and any other movies that you can get your hands on by this guy. I was pretty impressed specifically because it's such a low budget movie because they have just a handful of sets. He makes the most of it. And I know there's that sequence where they're going downstairs to go down levels. You know, they probably just redress the room a couple of times, you know. Well, that's that's one of the things that I was really impressed with. You can tell that they probably didn't have a whole lot of money. You could tell that this spaceship was probably one set and they just had the stairs in the center. But the fact that they redressed it so much that if you take that meta knowledge away, it looks like different levels. Yeah, they, they did a really, really good job on making this movie feel more full, bigger than it really is. From the production design to the way they shot it. I'd even say the monster holds up pretty good. Uh, it's a Paul Blaisdell creation. So Paul Blaisdell, I think listeners know, and you, and you know, Scott, Paul Blaisdell is a, a low-budget monster movie maker, mm-hmm. probably best known for a lot of the work that he did with Roger Corman. He did this suit. I'm not sure what his relationship was with Khan or how he got involved, but I really like the look of this thing. And even the biggest shortcoming that people comment on, I appreciate because of what they had to do to make it work. And that's part of that DIY spirit that I like with low-budget movies. You know what I'm referring to? The mask did not fit the actor, and we actually see his chin. <laughs> yeah. 
Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Ray Crash Corrigan was the man wearing the suit. And Ray Corrigan, he's a stuntman, did a lot of serial work. He did a whole lot of things. He did a lot of gorilla suit acting. Before this movie, he was in a movie called The Bride and the Beast, and he played a gorilla named Spanky. Um <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he did a lot of a lot of suit acting, and he was too big for the mask. So if you look at close-ups, you can see his chin sticking out of the mouth. But I feel like it still kind of works because you can just kind of say, well, you know, it's his tongue. Fine, you know? Well, from what I understand, uh, Crash Corrigan was busy or he didn't want to go to meet with uh, Paul Blaisdell beforehand. So Blaisdell didn't get good measurements of Corrigan's head. Right. Blaisdell would wear a lot of his own suits for a lot of movies. Uh, I'm thinking about like she creature and he would reprise that role in the hot rod gang in the haunted house. Is that what it is? Anyway, he wore a lot of his own suits and he was a more slight guy than your traditional serial Hollywood stuntman. So I'm wondering, you know, if some of that has to do with not being able to take accurate measurements and just kind of working with what you got. It could be, but having said all of that, I did not know that before I watched the movie. And it never... Oh, there you go. It, never, it was never something I thought, oh, wait, that mask is wrong or something. There's something wrong with it. It just felt like part of the creature. There you go. See, and that's what I'm talking about. And then afterwards, when I started doing a little research to see who did what, is when I came across um, the fact that the mask didn't fit. But they hit it well. Yeah, and they worked with what they had. And listeners of mine, either through this podcast or my previous podcasting lives, know that the minute that I know something is low budget or guerrilla or DIY, I suddenly enjoy it more. I don't know what it is about that. <laughs> it's just who I am. It might be because I thought I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up, and I appreciate that, making videos as a kid. I just really enjoy knowing that you can pull something off despite all these limitations. So, you know, I like the monster. I like it a lot. I'd love to have an action figure of it to have on my desk and play with when I should be doing other things. Yeah, I was very impressed with the monster as well. And I also like that you know, they, they follow the classic trope of you see him in shadows, you see a hand or you see just part of his head is in, until the end of the film where they finally reveal the whole thing. And I thought it was a, a well done reveal. Sounds kind of familiar. Yes. Uh, there's a lot about this movie that sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> and uh, I got really ex- quite a bit. Yeah. I got really excited <laughs> when Scott mentioned this. And I was like, well, have you seen Alien? The word is that this movie influenced Alien a lot. Uh, and, and I knew that going into this thing, you know, the first time I saw it. And, and I guess I knew the story, you know. Dan O'Bannon really liked this movie. And Dan O'Bannon and people like John Carpenter are big fans of this type of film. That's what they grew up watching. Well, Dan O'Bannon was one of the guys behind the screenplay for Alien. So, of course, it's going to creep its way in. But I had forgotten just how much. Yeah. This movie is basically Alien's grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I'm going to use that. I'm actually pushing to maybe have this one shown at the Lovecraft Film Festival just because of the Alien connection. And if Mm -hmm. if that happens, I'm going to use that on stage, okay? (laughs) Go right ahead. All right. But there's actually two other science fiction films that uh, this film reminded me of is one of them called dark star. No, not dark star, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did actually think dark star a little bit too, but again, Dan O'Bannon was involved with that and Carpenter yep. was involved with that. Uh, and, and I have another Carpenter thing to say, but go ahead with your films. The first one is uh, war of the worlds. Oh, okay. because 
early on in the film, every time the monster is on screen or just parts of him, they play the same sound of the Mar- Martian spaceships. Yeah, there's that kind of <laughs> in the background. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so effective, too, because you hear yep. that, and you know, oh, man, now now it's on. <laughs> so that, that was one. And I'm going to uh, bring out the alien's uh, natural enemy, the Predator. R- really? Okay. Yes. There's the scene where we're just told about this scene uh, from the first crew. Oh, okay. And when the, the monster attacks them in the dust storm and they're firing in all different directions, I'm thinking of Dutch and his team firing in all di- different directions in the first Predator film out in the jungle while the monster jumps around. Okay. And one of the people actually gets shot in that scene description. And I don't think that happened in, in the Predator, but... You know, I was already thinking of Alien as I'm watching this film, and then I'm all of a sudden, wait, that sounds like a scene from Predator. <laughs> <laughs> I I could see that, and I like, I would love to see that scene. I would have loved to have oh, seen that me scene. Too. That said, we know they couldn't have done it because of the budget and the location and the amount of time they had. Yeah, I would love to see a prequel to this film. I want to see that first crew. You know, I think there's that card in the classic five, you know, what movie do you want to see a prequel to? I'd, I'd sign this one up, man. Yeah, me too. I would love to see it. But I would want to see it done in the style of this film, you know, keep it moody, keep it shadowy. Don't show the monster, even though we kind of know what it looks like at this point. Right. And done in black and white. And shot I mean, in six days. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would give him, I'll give him a whole week. A whole week. Okay. Well, you know. <laughs> I'm a little more generous than you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mentioned John Carpenter. I went online looking at material for this film because, like I said, the Blu-ray is bare bones. And years ago, I don't know if TCM still does this, where they bring in somebody to kind of curate the month or have a a month of their movies or a weekend where they pick what movies from the vault they're going to show. And I found an old one with Carpenter, John Carpenter appearing on TCM. And he apparently brought out like the Curse of Frankenstein and the thing from another world, obviously, because of, you know, the thing, but he showed this as well. So this movie's presentation on TCM is not on YouTube, but the intro and outro with Carpenter talking about it is on YouTube. And to hear him talk about this film with the reverence that he gives it and how important it was and how influential it was. And he talks about how Dan O'Bannon told him this movie influenced him to write alien and a few other things. And again, I mentioned dark star Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon did dark star together, which I actually kind of like, <laughs> It's, goofy. it's a good film. It's, go- it's a goofy film, but it's good. Yeah, film. and I could see this movie influencing that, and it's just really cool to see, you know, somebody like John Carpenter, a modern day filmmaker, uh, a modern day master of horror. I suppose is he still modern day? I haven't watched anything recently by him, but you know, just to kind of have that and to see TCM talking about it, and it wasn't the only time TCM played it. There were other intros from the oh, I forget his name. There was the one person who just passed away not too long ago, the older gentleman, Robert something, right? On TCM, you remember who I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Oh, man. I, <laughs> listeners are like, it's that guy. It's like, well, you know who I'm talking about. But the younger guy, Menkowitz. Menkowitz, yes. Who, you know, is now kind of taken over. He's also introduced the film, and you can find his introductions as well. And Ro- Robert Osborne. Osborne, that's his name. Thank you, Scott. Uh, but you can also see Menkowitz introducing the movie as well, and him talking about, yeah, it's low budget. Yeah, there's some logic issues, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. And and I really think it is a lot of fun. It's a murder mystery in space, and there's an alien running around. 
Yes. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the way this film is set up where you have one crew, first crew to Mars that disappears. So the government sends a second crew to Mars to find out what happened to the first one. They find one guy alive. And instead of thinking, Hey, maybe something bad happened to him. They accuse him of murdering his entire crew. And when the second crew brings him on board to take him back to earth, they're taking him back for a firing squad. I was just like, wow, that, that was quick. Yeah, that was <laughs> at one point van played by Kim Spaulding. Who's like, I guess the captain, the Colonel, the guy kind of running the show here to his ship is talking with one of the women. I think he's speaking with Anne. Uh, played by Shirley yes. Patterson, and they have a relationship, right? I mean, I, I think they have a relationship here, or at least he wants them to have a relationship. Am I reading that right? That's the impression I got as well. Okay. So they're speaking, and at one point she reminds him, you know, it's not our job to find a innocent or guilty. Well, by the time we get back, I'll have a full confession from him. Well, okay, but we don't decide it's not our job, you know? And so there's that level there too. There's just a lot of interesting character things happening here. One of my favorite mm -hmm. scenes in this film is the sequence, you know, we were joking about how the women serve dinner, but they're, they're having a meal and the women are bringing food out. And I think one of them might be smoking and they're just yeah, kind smoking of smoking on a spaceship. That just, Oh, blew me that's, away. that's the least of the issues about what they do. Yeah. Um, that's true. But then they do it in alien too. That's <laughs> true. And that's what I was going to say. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is that dinner scene where they're just kind of sitting around talking. It is such a throwback, or I guess alien is such a throwback to this, that one bit where they're just sitting around dinner, talking and having side conversations, Well, we're not going to get a full cut. We should get a full cut captain. And you know, Dallas is talking about this and Ripley's talking about that. And there's, there are conversations that are kind of drifting and intersecting back and forth. And there's a scene just like this in this film. And then Carruthers played by Marshall Thompson, the survivor from the previous uh, mission comes in and everything just stops. stops. Yes. One of my favorite moments in this film. And nobody believes his story at the beginning Oh, that yeah. there was some sort of creature or something. They all think he was guilty. I mean, he, he gets accused of killing everybody. So because at one point they say there was enough rations for a week. But if you're there by yourself, you could have stretched that off to multiple months. And he's got this. <laughs> Van pulls out the skull. See, look yeah. what you did. There's a bullet hole in there. Okay. One where the skull. <laughs> what? Yeah. How did the skull break down to that? I whatever. Yeah, that that leads on to the scene that I was talking about earlier that I, reminded me of, of the Predator. Right. So smoking on a spaceship. Yep. <laughs> I suppose if you're gonna fire guns, bazookas, and gas grenades, it's okay to smoke. <laughs> True. I I I literally I laughed out loud a little bit when they pulled out the bazooka. I just. <laughs> <laughs> I will admit when they, when I saw the bazooka, I like, holy cow. <laughs> I mean, the guns were bad and you know, what else are they going to do? Right. But when they start pulling out the grenades and they're just regular looking grenades, I mean, this is 1973, it's a future, but they just look like grenades that you'd see like in world war two or something. Right. And they just start hanging them all over the vents and the ducts. And I'm thinking, you know, I understand the aliens in there. But those ducks and vents probably serve a purpose on a spaceship. <laughs> and to just hang like seven or eight of them on one vent. Yep. Plus, 
the, they've got one of their crewmates is still in the vent too, even though the creature got him, he was still alive. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what it was like. And I know kids were probably the primary audience for this, but I'm trying to think if I'd never seen the movie before, if I'd never seen it before and I was sitting in a movie theater watching it and there's the scene where Marshall uh, Thompson as Colonel Carruthers and then Van Huysen, uh look at each other trying to figure out what they're going to do and then Carruthers kind of motions at a box and just cut to a shot of a box that clearly just says grenades. grenades. <laughs> <laughs> Not U.S. Army surplus or, you know, no, grenades. Grenades. Okay. <laughs> well. Okay, then. <laughs> but yeah, the bazooka's a little much. At, at this point in the movie, I was still really trying to figure out what is the alien doing with these people? They hid that really well for quite a while. They really did, yeah. I'm using my alien knowledge. Okay, is he using it for reproduction so they can make more of himself? Is he, what is he doing? <laughs> they really did hide that almost to the point to almost not being clear enough, I would think. Cause it, but again, that makes perfect sense. It's an alien. We're not supposed to understand what it's doing. That's truly what an alien is, right? I mean, doing something completely foreign to it. So to me, that made sense, it, but oh, it's, yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. I yeah. liked the idea, especially when you tie it into where he's from. Right. And you know, that also goes to how they ultimately defeat him goes to for where he's from. And I liked that as well. And alien totally <laughs> again, totally see shades of this in alien with how Ripley finally gets the alien off her ship. Well, I kind of expected, I kind of have expected because they show yeah. the airlocks in this film a lot. I thought somebody was going to go out an airlock by the end of this movie. I totally expected it too when I first watched it on blue and saw, you know, this all put together like that. And I thought, you know, this is totally what they're going to do. They're going to blow them out the airlock. But <laughs> spoiler, <laughs> um, not quite. I mean, that happens to an alien. Yeah, <laughs> it does happen in alien, right? Spoiler about alien. Yep. <laughs> I don't think it happens in Dark Star though. That's that. <laughs> But you know, every time I'm I saw just going to mention Dark Star as much as I possibly can. I haven't seen that movie in years, but now I kind of want to go see it. I've got Benson, Arizona, playing in my head. Anyway, what were you saying? But, yeah, every time I saw an airlock in this film, I thought, you know, this is Chekhov's airlock or something. It's going to come back. <laughs> <laughs> they do show the airlock. They show a lot of exterior shots. You know, for a movie that is so short, they spend a lot of time, relatively, showing shots of the outside of the spaceship. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is I don't feel like this movie was too short. I felt no. like it was the perfect length for what it is. And I didn't mind the shots of the, the spaceships on the outside. And they show it a lot. And, yeah, I mean, it's your traditional rocket-shaped rocket from the 1950s. But I didn't mind. No, I, I, I never um, felt like this movie was too short or too long. I thought it was paced perfect. I mean, yeah, the film is 69 minutes long. But it goes along at a great pace, and there's nothing that's that's really hidden from you, or you're not asking a whole lot of questions. Where you know one more scene might have helped that or anything. I never felt any of that. So there are a couple moments that are covered by some narration. Yes, I think I probably would have not done that if it were me. 
because it's not consistent. Like it happens at the very beginning and then it doesn't happen for a long time. And then when we start talking about blowing things up, it comes back in again or, or they're going to electrocute something. I, I could have done without that. But other than that, I didn't really have a problem with the pacing or the way it was told, the story the way it was told. It did That didn't bother me too much. I just wish it, it was set up slightly different if, you know, when he starts it off, if he does a, a captain's log or personal log or something. He just, yeah. It needed a little bit of why we're hearing just his thoughts. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, just something, just to make it a little bit more consistent, give us a reason for it, or just, I don't know, or drop it all together. Overall, I thought the performances were pretty strong. I was very impressed with Van, uh, Kim Spalding playing Van Hoisen, uh, the the journey he goes on Oh yeah, in this film. Especially when he's sick. Yeah. I thought he was great. Yeah, and he was in that experiment, Alcatraz, too, the the movie that I was talking about earlier. But yeah, the journey he goes on from, I'm going to get a confession out of him, to, okay, so what did you do, Carruthers, when this happened to your crew, to him getting sick and infected? And even that shot, him getting clawed up, I thought mm-hmm. it was pretty brutal for what it was for yes, the time. And, and when he goes at the end and, and opens up the reactor. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, wow. I mean, just his, his acting in that scene, he sold me that he was – off the rails. He was not doing too well. From what I understand, this was the last film role for him. He did some more TV after this, but that was about it. I'm looking at his credits here, his filmography. It doesn't look like he did a lot of genre work, which is too bad because I think he kind of had the the cut and the look for it. But no, I thought he was really good. And I liked Carruthers too. Uh, Marshall Thompson as Edward Carruthers, the accused man. I liked him quite a bit. And I mean, he had also that kind of rugged American, you know, 1950s hero type going. But you could tell he was so distraught over the fact that his crew was killed and just kind of, I don't know, he did really well. Well, he had that going and then he also had the no one's believing me. And he he really felt defeated at the beginning of the film. Yep. And he played that really well. Now, he's the lead in another movie that you really, really like, isn't he? Isn't he in Feeding Without a Face? I believe so. Yeah. He's either the lead or one of the leads, which is something that we are going to talk about here on the show. And here I am locking <laughs> this down, but it's not just going to be you and me. I've got somebody else on deck as well. We're going to do like a little round table about it. That'll happen in the future at some the, point. I'm not going to say when, cause I don't want to lock it. <laughs> the one actor though, that I was, when I saw him first uh, up on screen was Eric Royce, you know, Dobbs Greer. I'm like, where in the world have I seen him? I'm everywhere. Looking at him everywhere. <laughs> I, I go look at his IMDb page, 312 entries. Yeah, he was uh, like an everyman character actor type, appeared in so much, started his career, what, in the 1950s, and yep. just continued until, I think, what, the latest thing I'm seeing on here is like early 2000s? Yeah, he's he's in an episode of Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> Wow, was that a Disney Channel show? I believe so. Yeah, so there's your Disney connection. (laughs) But yeah, I thought he was great. I I really liked him in this film a lot. He did a lot. Hey, shout out for Tom Doffel. He was the reverend on Little House on the Prairie. I know Doffel loves Little House, so (laughs) there you go. But no, he did a lot of TV, a lot of film. Yep. And even though he's got that kind of, you've seen him in everything kind of look, I thought he was great in this. I don't think there was a weak performance from anybody in here. No, 
no, I thought everybody was really good. I, I wish the women were given a little more to do, but that right. goes back to when the film was made. Unfortunately, right. they're doing the best they can with what they were written to do. And yes, the movie was shot in six days. I doubt the script had that much time put into it. And again, it's the fifties, late fifties. So it's not like they can be overly progressive. Right. It's because they just didn't either know how to, or they had no interest in doing so. I was glad they were there. I was glad they had women on the ship. But I just wish they were given more to do. Agreed. I did like that we had an older woman on here yep. as well. You didn't have just a bunch of young good lookers. We had, you know, a nice range of not just age, but you also clearly had not just your straight wasp type character. You had the Finelli brothers who come on with the last name like Finelli and one of their names is Gino. <laughs> they're not exactly, you know, from the heartland of America. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I did like having that as well in there. It, it still doesn't go as far as, say, um, oh, what's the movie I just watched? It'll come to me while we're talking. It doesn't go as far as some movies in terms of having a diverse crew, but it's still nice to see the mix. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but that's... I, I know what you're saying, and, and I agree. I I really liked this cast. There wasn't There wasn't a bad one in the bunch. And 12 I even, to the Moon. That's what I'm thinking of. Ah. 12 to the Moon, which is a great film from 1960. would love to talk about it at some point. Science fiction film. That is a great film. I love that film. And it's got a great, a diverse cast, different nationalities and all that. And yep. you, so you like that one, huh? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm about to say, right? Yeah. It's going to be a future movie that we're going to talk about. <laughs> anyway. And I really liked, um, you know, Ray Corrigan. I, I liked the char- the creature. Oh, more he's than great. just the design. I liked to, the way he moved. Yeah, he's a little too comfortable with how stairs work for me. But overall, I mean, and, and really, how do you fix that? You, you can't. No, you know. But overall, I thought the movement, the way he kind of lumbers around, the and way his hands kind of explore areas before he gets into it, the way he really walks pigeon toed. Yeah. Just is kind of offsetting about the whole creature. I've talked about gorilla suit actors on here before. I think, have we talked about it, you and me? I'm sure it's probably come up at some point, right? Not on the show, I don't think so. You you can't talk about the great gorilla men without talking about Crash Corrigan. He's one of the best. And to have him in this film is just awesome. And there's another gorilla suit actor in this film sort of involved in the film anyway. Bob Burns actually assisted Paul Blaisdale with some of the special makeup effects, special effects. And Burns would go on to do gorilla suit acting as well. So you have a little bit of that there. And I wonder if Burns and Corrigan ever talked shop. I'm I'm sure they probably did. And looking at uh, Ray Corrigan's page, this was his last performance. Last thing listed. You know, we're starting to get away from gorilla suit stuff in the late 50s, early 60s. You start to see it come back up in the 70s on TV. You know, he was a serial guy. He did so many serials and, and just his yeah. body of work. That's where I first impressive. saw him was, uh, was the Undersea Kingdom because MST3K used it. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, isn't Cheney in that? Um, I don't don't remember if he's in it. Best podcasting ever. Your two co-hosts are going online right now to furiously see <laughs> Undersea Kingdom. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah. Yep. That's a. Uh, oh, it's Junior. No, I guess that makes sense. It's the late thirties. Yep. Huh. Well, that's fun. 
didn't Crash Corrigan, didn't he kind of just use his name, Crash Corrigan, in a lot of these movies? Yeah. Yeah, he was he Crash Corrigan. <laughs> yeah. How comfortable would you be if your stuntman's nickname was Crash? <laughs> I just, that, that seems to be the, the antithesis of what you're actually supposed to be doing. <laughs> actually, you know, I would well, think maybe, that would I be good. Know. I mean, if it was like brain hemorrhage Corrigan, I'd probably worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you were a stuntman, Scott, what would your nickname be? <laughs> I wouldn't be brain hemorrhage, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't know what mine would be either, but it wouldn't be brain hemorrhage. But Crash is not a bad name. No, you're right, especially <laughs> compared to brain hemorrhage. Wow. <laughs> I'm a music guy. I got to talk about the music. Uh, some some classic music in this film from uh, a couple of people who are in my mind underserved and underrated when it comes to these types of movies and just film scores in general Paul Paul Saltel and Bert Sheffer or Schefter excuse me have done a number of movies like this Kronos they were involved with um, I want to say oh what's the one I'm thinking I thought ah drawing a blank <clears throat> anyway Good stuff. Sautel had done a lot of serials, television. A lot of his music would be used as stock music and things down the line as well. And I believe Monstrous Movie Music has some of his music available for sale, including, I think the soundtrack for this is out. Oh, very so cool. So I would recommend it. I would recommend it. It's good stuff. I'm going to go on their website and double check. <laughs> <laughs> Again, awesome podcasting. That's right, right? It's the best. <laughs> Going to mmmrecordings.com and there it is. Yep, they do have the CD for it. It, the terror from beyond space. So check it out. Highly recommend it. comes with the Monster Kid Radio seal of approval. 37 mu- minutes of awesome music. Well, it's almost as long as the movie. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's overall, I was very, very happy to revisit this film. And get you on the show to talk about it oh, I'm, a little I'm, bit. I'm glad you brought this to my attention. Like I said, I don't know how I missed this film. Especially and, with that poster, right? Yeah, the poster is amazing. So there's that question in the Classic Five. What's your favorite classic monster movie poster? Would this be up there for you? It would make a, a top ten list. I don't know if it would be my favorite, but it's pretty darn good. Yeah. And it does have that $50,000 guaranteed right across the top if you can prove this didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Which is brilliant. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. The revelation shocker of things to come. <laughs> In 1973. <laughs> right? I'm just pulling up different copies of the poster. Because listeners know that I try to uh, monster kid radio eyes the movie posters for the show notes for the cover art. This one has actually proven to be a little difficult for me because I can't find a font that exactly mirrors what's on there. So I'm going to have to go a little, take some creative liberties on there, but I, I've got to keep the $50,000 guaranteed. Yeah. You, you, what you need to do is where it says it, change that to MKR and oh. terror, change that to podcast, the podcast from beyond space. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's going to make it so much easier. MKR, oh, I love the it. Podcast from beyond space. <laughs> oh, I love it. Let's see. I'm just looking. 
I have no artistic ability, so I don't know if I, I couldn't do it, but... <laughs> Oh my, oh, this is brilliant. I'm totally doing that. Listeners, <laughs> check out the cover art inspired by Scott. Awesome. What else is there to say about the movie other than we really, really liked it and it's clearly an inspired Alien? And you know, why not? Why not? You hadn't seen Alien start to finish. Yeah, it, as we were talking earlier, there's about movies that we had seen most of or, or parts of or caught it when it was on tv but never really sat down to watch the whole thing that's the way i was with alien i knew the story i had seen almost all of it in different parts but i had never really sat down to watch the whole thing and when derek mentioned this film is a influencer of alien i said i'm just gonna sit down and watch alien for the first time i'm a huge aliens fan i went i've seen that I don't know how many times, but I was also a fan of James Cameron's work at the time. So I, I actually did sit down and, and watch that this morning before this uh, recording, and I really enjoyed that film as well. I'm not sure which I like between the Alien and Aliens, but you know they're totally different movies. Totally, totally different, different movies. movies. Yeah, it, it's always fascinating to me, and and I haven't paid attention to the Alien franchise in years. I mean, I've seen the first four films, and I think I saw one of the AVP films. It's fascinating to me that you can look at those first two Alien films and the genre of these films are so unique from each other, but they're still connected. Mm -hmm. Alien is the perfect horror science fiction film. Aliens is a wonderful science fiction action film. It's where they kind of connect that fascinates me, that you can get the horror with the sci-fi and just make it all work. And what I like is each film also brings important mythos that is built upon for future films. I mean, you've right. got the whole alien design that comes from the first film and how they reproduce with the facehuggers and everything. And in the second film, James Cameron introduces the queen and that mentality. They really complement each other. The first time I saw Alien and Aliens, I did watch them back-to-back -back on VHS. That was cool. I would imagine that would be awesome. It was awesome. I had no idea about the time jump between the two movies. None. <laughs> so when Alien starts and you start seeing and you hear, I think, God, I haven't seen Aliens from forever either. But when Alien starts and you start seeing, I think it's on screen, they show the people that died from the first yes. film. I think you might even hear Ripley's voice recording. Um, yes. Because I just went... And the Fathom Events did a uh, flashback cinema or something with aliens not too long ago, and I saw it in the theater. Oh, right. So I had no idea. It was a, that was a <laughs> huge time jump. And I was just like, wow, that's just really interesting, really cool filmmaking, storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I respond best to, I think, interesting storytelling above all. And I, and I think that probably is a no-brainer. Most people do. But I will forgive a film for having – what some might consider shoddy special effects or whatever, if the story itself is interesting. And I think that's one of the things that I love so much about the movies that we talk about on MKR is that a lot of times the story is just so interesting and so unique and, and sometimes just out there crazy that I, I don't mind the fact that they only shot it over the course of six days. In fact, I think that kind of benefited a film like this because it forces you to be fast and dirty and creative. Yes, I, oh, I totally agree with that. And that's one of the things I really like about a lot of science fiction films from this time frame. Yeah. Is, is they all seem to have a lot of that same characteristic. The story is really above 
what you see on the screen. The monsters are usually really cheesy. And when you see shots of the spaceship, that's especially when you compare it to CGI of today is a detriment sometimes. But if you got a good story, it can trump all that. Yeah. Agreed. But even a movie like this, it's got some great production design elements. A lot has been said about alien being one of the first science fiction movies to give us a spaceship that feels very blue collar. that look feels very lived in and kind of dirty in places and here and there. I got the impression there's some of that actually in this, that this feels like it's a community unto itself. There's a dorm area, there's the dining room area, but they have to move boxes around to get to the vent and they have to, it's just really good. (laughs) Well, I got the impression we never meet the first crew. True. So I'm, I'm assuming that they were more scientific in nature. They were going to study Mars. I really got the impression that this, this crew, they were prison transport almost. They were there to go get Carruthers and bring him back. They didn't care about scientific stuff. And that gave them a different feel than, you know, someone who's exploring. They had a specific mission. And I like that about this movie, but they were still alike enough they were all still wearing the same uniform, so they're obviously yep. the same organization. And Carruthers still knew his way around the ship. So yeah. it's probably the same type of ship, just the equipment were different. I, I don't know if the scientific exploration mission had grenades, but. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, we had a, a fleet of space shuttles at one time. It was the same thing. They probably all, once you got inside them, looked exactly the same. That was back in, that was in the future of 1973, yes, it wasn't was. it? When we had the space shuttles? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm looking at this poster since you recommended changing it to MKR. I'm sorry, Scott. That $50,000 guarantee expired. Oh, that guarantee expired man. January 1st, 1960. <laughs> sorry, I man. I really thought you were going to say January 1st, 1973. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there's a way, when I put this podcast out, if I can change the date on it. Is there a way to – is that something that's in the meta tags, the date of the podcast? Would it throw things off if I said this episode comes out in 1973? <laughs> I don't know. I've never tried to do that. I think I think you can do huh. that. I'll have to I'll have to check to see. I know Apple just did some things where they're doing some more podcast support stuff. So I wonder if that's part of it. I'll double check. It totally break the feed more than likely. But if well, it would probably show up, it would be like your episode number one because you don't have any episodes that are that old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would screw everything up, wouldn't it? I wouldn't. Oh. I wouldn't recommend it, but it is pretty funny. So that's it. The terror from beyond space, Scott thumbs up i'm assuming an enthusiastic thumbs yes, up yes i really really enjoyed this and i really appreciate uh you bringing this one to my attention this is a sub a part of the subgenre a part of the monster kid area of films that i don't know as much about because it's more sci-fi based versus monster based and i know you got an alien in this but you know i'm more the horror guy so i was really happy to be able to bring this up and introduce you to a movie that's just flat out cool yeah, it is it is very cool and highly recommended now, this episode will be going out after Monster Bash, but I'm assuming we had an awesome time there. Oh, I, can you imagine that? I can't believe that we did. <laughs> that, thing that thing with those did. people. And where did the lion come from? I don't understand who brought the... <sighs> yeah. how, how, did you get the tattoo removed yet? I, no, I that's did, what I'm wondering. did you return the okay. ice cream truck you stole? Uh, well, I mean, it's not like I'm from the area, you know, I just kind of left it. Oh, I thought you drove it all the way back cross country. Oh, I thought about it, but you know, too much ice cream, man. You know, I'm trying to watch my weight. <laughs> 
I'm sure Monster Bash was awesome. Uh, so that that has happened. But I am going to have Scott back on. We are going to talk about Fantastic or, Voyage, or we have already, depending on. Or we have already. <laughs> DisneyIndiana.com. That's where you're going to find his core, his base, his main podcast that he co-produces with his wife, Tracy. They're awesome. I haven't had Tracy on the show in forever. I need to make that happen too. But Scott, thank you for being part of the show. Now, this recording actually took place months ago, like way before the summer monster batch of this year. I know we've had the October batch since then too. So this recording has been in the can for quite some time. I actually have quite a few recordings sitting in the can here that I'm slowly starting to get out. And actually, I'll be posting on monsterkidradio.net a poster showing what other episodes you can expect this month on the show. So make sure you head over there. If you're a Facebook user, I've already posted it on Facebook. So there you go. Again, Scott, thank you for being part of the show. And yeah, let's get you on the show again to talk about Fantastic Voyage, Fiend Without a Face, and you know a thousand other things that we've talked about. <laughs> An upheaval of nature tears loose a creature out of the nightmare of time. Spawned by an earthquake on the bed of the ocean, a reptilian, earth-shaking beast of the sea. The monster that challenged the world. My tank. My tank. What's wrong? Blake's tank is caught in the undergrowth. Right in front of me. I couldn't help him. Go back. Talk sense. What's down there? I don't know. I never saw anything like it before. It's the size of a dinosaur and ten times more terrifying. Hurling the horrors of the unknown at every living thing. Often has this happened to you. You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Professor, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the handbook for surviving a giant monster attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. Volcanic fury of Vesuvius. From the ravaged city of Pompeii across 2,000 years comes one of the strangest mysteries of all time. The curse of the faceless man.
of his love spanned the centuries, crossed the dividing line between yesterday and today, between the past and the present, even between life and death. about what happened last week i am really sorry about the delay in the release of episode 341 it was no reflection on dwight or the subject matter but to peel back the monster kid radio curtain just a touch uh basically what happened was when dwight and i recorded it was right after i had a very cool fiction writing coaching session with friend of the show sean hode and to do that I used a webcam. We did a Google Hangout kind of thing. I've never used a webcam on my main computer before, but you know, that's where all my writing stuff was and I wanted to do that. When I sat down to record with Dwight, I did not think to check my input settings on my podcast recording software. And even though I was talking into the microphone, the audio was being picked up by my webcam, which I had already set aside and set on top of the tower of my computer. So while you do kind of sort of hear me, you also hear every single sound that the computer is making, as well as every time I might be coughing or clearing my throat when I think I'm putting myself on mute so the microphone pick it up, well, the webcam picked it up. I didn't discover this until several days later, so I had to go in and re-record my side of the conversation, which made for a very interesting podcast production experience on my end. That's why the show is a little late. Again, had nothing to do with Dwight. He actually even offered to redo the entire episode with me at one point when I told him what had happened, but I didn't think that was fair to him. So it was on me and I appreciate you guys and gals sticking around and I appreciate your patience while we got episode 341 out. This episode is going out on time, and hopefully this will never, ever happen again. It's been a lot of things happening this past month or so. I mean, the big thing being Halloween, obviously. And I got a call from friend of the show. He's been on the show before when we talked about the green slime, Jeff Pullier. Well, he was at Scarathon at the Joy Cinema this past weekend. I'm going to hold on to that recording until later this month when I release the recordings that I took at Scarathon. But Scarathon wasn't the only thing happening in the Monster Kid Radio universe. I know that there were other conventions happening around the world and in other parts of the country. And another good friend of the show, Mark Bailey, attended a convention and got the following two recordings for us from people that you've heard on the show in the past. Hey, this is Frank Schildener at ChillerCon. Uh, you guys probably know me at Monster Kid Radio for having appeared and never stopped talking about luchador movies when I'm around Derek. And he even brings me in for that reason. Anyway, I'm the writer of Napoleon's Vampire Hunters and a few other uh, books here and there. I think about 30. I don't even know anymore. Anyway, I'm here at Chiller. In 
Parsippany. It's been the first time in about probably 15 years I've ever been here. They moved it out about 20 minutes from where I live. So that's pretty awesome. This place is just incredible. It's a lot of little rooms filled with stars you grew up with. I mean, I walked into a room and there were three people, four people from Land of the Lost alone. I got to meet Linda Miller, the star of King Kong Escapes, who Mark Bailey told me was just a woman living in Virginia and nope, didn't know she was so popular. She found she's got a whole legion of fans in this place. It's awesome. Um, I got to talk to Chuck Zito, the famous star of Oz, former Hell's Angel, and a buddy of the, my karate teacher, so it's even funnier. Um, just an amazing experience walking around here, seeing the sheer number of monster kids uh, in one spot, though I hear that some of the other uh, shows um, a pretty amazing Monsterama and all that. I have to try that one day. You pretty much can find anything you want in one spot. I was able to find a couple of old movies, including, yes, for you, Derek, I found another Santo and the Blue Demon. I needed a new copy of them meeting the monsters. So, yeah, the tradition continues forever. Uh, I got uh, met to be. I got to meet Bob Eagleton, the amazing Godzilla artist who has a room over there with his wife, and she's an amazing person too. I uh, bought one of their prints and a copy of uh, Blood on Satan's Claw. A little trip down the uh, non-Hammer Horror movie direction. This was pretty awesome experience. Uh, I'm going to definitely have to come back next year. I'm not sure I'll come to every one of these, but i got to at least keep trying. Money well, you know, writer's life is not what people would like to think. They all think we live like James Patterson when it'd probably be better to live like 7-Eleven. <laughs> anyway, thank you, and I hope you to see you guys soon and visit Monster Kid Radio. Frank Shilden are out. Hey, Derek, this is Ron from uh, Chiller Theater. I am at their expo for their October show right now, and it's been a busy, fun time here at uh, Kevin Clement's show and uh, doing the whole classic monster thing. We're kind of the go-to place for people that like the uh, the classics. Uh, anyhow, coming up, this uh, the next Monster Bash that uh, Monster Kid Radio, you guys are going to be at, which we're real happy to, to host you, will be in June. It's going to be June 22, 23, 24. We're right back there at Mars, Pennsylvania. What a place to land for Monster Bash. We're going to be there uh, those three days. In fact, things actually kind of start up on Thursdays. We have uh, our projectionist, Jeffrey, kind of has a free-for-all on Thursday nights where he just starts screening stuff for people that come in early. So we, if you come in early, there'll be things to do. And as always, Monster Bash is just uh, non-stop. We have uh, you know, a theater event room where we do the Q&As with all the guests of honor. And we have uh, movies playing in between those. And then, of course, if there's something that you've seen before in the movie room, off you can go to the uh, the vendor room, which is that huge, huge ballroom at the uh, Doubletree there in Mars, Pennsylvania. And uh, it all takes place at the Doubletree. Now, the Doubletree is sold out, but there are still two other hotels that are just a walk across the parking lot. There's a Comfort Inn and a Super 8, and then there's still like 15 other hotels within two miles because it's right at a major intersection in Pennsylvania, the, uh, the Turnpike and I-79 going north and south. Uh, and the guests coming up, well, it's going to be the theme this time is kind of the Bowery Boys meet the monsters. We've got Leo Gordon 
Percy's uh, daughter coming. She's bringing a lot of his personal items like uh, scrapbooks he had, the hat that he used to hit Satch with in the, in the movies. And uh, Victoria Price is going to be there, of course, Vincent Price's daughter. And we're going to have you know a lot of other uh, great guests as well uh, coming to Monster Bash. And you can always check it out at www.monsterbash.us. And you can always stay tuned with people that come to Monster Bash right here at Monster Kid Radio. And we thank you so much, Derek, for uh, giving us a forum. And uh, the fans, I know, love Monster Kid Radio. And we do, too. And we're going to be happy to have you guys set up at Monster Bash in June of 2018. So we're going to see you there at Bash. How cool was that? Mark, thank you for thinking to record some things for Monster Kid Radio while you were out doing the convention thing. And you were just there as a, as a fan, you know, just, just checking things out. So thank you for doing that. You know, listeners, Mark has been helping me with a lot of things behind the scenes. And we've talked a little bit about some other upcoming things that he might be able to do for Monster Kid Radio that, man, I just I really appreciate everything that he's offered to do and his support. So Mark, Thank you. And of course, Mark is the man behind the New York City Giant Monster Attack map over at foxtrotstudios.net. You can check that out, as well as all of the other cartoons that he's posted over the years. They're all a lot of fun and Monster Kid Radio approved. And of course, big thanks to Frank Schuldiner, master author. The man doesn't know how to stop writing. I'm friends with the man on Facebook, and he's constantly posting about writing this short story or that short story or needing to work on this novel or that novel. And man, the man is a machine of particular interest to monster kids. He's the man behind the books, The Triumph of Frankenstein and The Quest of Frankenstein, and his most recent monster novel, Napoleon's Vampire Hunters. Go check those out. And then Ron from the Monster Bash I know I've said it earlier this year when Ron reached out to me, but now he said it. It's official. Monster Kid Radio will be at Monster Bash 2018. I can't wait. We're going to have a table. I'm going to have my gear. We're going to be recording a lot. I'm going to offer to be involved in other parts of the show. I, I hope that I can be more involved. I hope to get as much recording as possible. I am really excited about next year's Monster Bash. Stay tuned. As soon as I know more, you'll know more. that brings us to the end of this episode of monster kid radio i want to thank you for listening and being part of the monster kid radio experience for me i've had a blast producing this show and everything that i get to do because of monster kid radio i am so grateful whether it's me being on a panel at the hp lovecraft film festival or being invited to have a table at monster bash or hosting the first three movies of this year's scarathon at the joy cinema Every opportunity that I've gotten because of the podcast is because of you guys and gals. I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be a podcaster if you weren't the podcast to ease. You know what I mean? So thank you. Really appreciate all of your support. Other ways that you can support the show include leaving us a review in the iTunes store. If you're a user of iTunes, please consider hopping on over there and giving us an honest review. At one point, I was hoping to get 100 reviews by Halloween. Well, that didn't happen, but that doesn't mean I want to stop. I would love to get more reviews in the store. So if you are an iTunes user and you haven't given us a review over there, please consider doing so. If you're a Facebook user, please like our Facebook page. Obviously, it's facebook.com slash monsterkidradio. However, the conversations on Facebook happen in the Facebook group. You can look that up and request to join that group. And, you know, after I check out your profile and make sure there's at least one monster thing on there, I'll let you in. Cause you know, the last thing we need is somebody trying to sell us a whole bunch of sunglasses and well, it's not like you spam bots are listening anyway. 
anyway, uh, Facebook is where we do most of our social media these days. So hop on over there and check that out. If you want to call into the show like Anthony or Dwight did, you can call us. Our phone number, it's our voicemail line. It's 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. You can also drop me a line by email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. You know what else you can email me? You can email me your submission for the caption contest that I'm running through November 15th. I mentioned the Lovecraft Film Festival not too long ago. Well, during that, I got to moderate a Q&A with a Barbara Steele when she was there after a screening of the movie Black Sunday. That was a real treat. And there was a professional photographer in the house. He took a picture of me and Barbara Steele on stage. She looks like she's contemplating a question or listening very intently, being very respectful. And I look like I'm making some weird sound. So that picture is <laughs> a caption contest. Email me your caption for this picture at monsterkidradio@gmail.com, and you'll win a monster kid radio prize package. And I'll make sure there's at least, I'm going to sweeten the pot. I already said at least one about this. There's going to be two monster movies in this prize pack. That's coming November 15th. That's less than two weeks from now. Something else you might want to check out, and I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for this as well. You know, when Scott and I were talking about It, the Terror from Beyond Space, and he mentioned changing it to MKR, the podcast from Beyond Space, well, we did that, and we put it on a t-shirt, and we made that t-shirt available over at TeePublic. That's T-E-E and then public.com. Head over there and look up Monster Kid Radio or just follow the link in the show notes and check this out. As of right now, Tee Public is running a sale. T-shirts are $14. I think it's only going for a few days. But if you're interested, you can pick up a Monster Kid Radio T-shirt over there for cheap. And yeah, the podcast from Beyond Space T-shirt, it's available. And I know a handful of people have picked it up and sent me pictures of it. And it looks really good. Of course, another way you can support the show is becoming a patron through our Patreon page, which I'll be updating this month. Hold me to it. It'll happen. Speaking of other things that are coming up, well, let's talk about next week. Next week, I've got a new person on the show. Again, this is a recording I did months ago, but I'm pretty excited to share it with you. It's been hard to sit on it, but you know, just scheduling and making things work. I have Micah Harris on the show. Micah Harris is an author. He writes some incredible fiction. Some of the stuff that he shared with me, some of the things that I've purchased on Amazon, solid stuff, man. Really enjoyable. We're going to talk about that when I have him on the show, when we talk about a movie by the name of The Woman Eater. Along the jungles of the Amazon, the evil forces of witchcraft and black magic still rule the native heart bringing modern terror to the people who wander its primeval forests. With this, our people make live the dead. Master, this is good. Starring George Kaluris as Dr. Moran, a man obsessed with the power of evil. In his ruthless hand lies the secret that could solve the mystery of life and death. She'll become part of the plant. And from it, I'll get the serum to bring the dead back to life. Ever since you came back from that horrible journey five years ago, you've been different. Yes, you're right, Margaret. I've changed. I believe you're doing something wicked. There's that iron door that I mustn't go through. I dream of it. What does it lead to? The feeling of evil is all around them. A forbidding past becoming part of the frightening present. Those who enter this house of fear stay to face a jungle of terror. Why have you locked me in here? 
frightened. Way up in the Amazon jungle, there are people who put their hands into the mouth of death and snatch its victims back. I learned their secret. I told you. The world will ring with my name. The man who can bring back the dead. You're mad! Yeah, I know the title, The Woman Eater, makes it sound kind of, huh? But trust me, I don't want to play my cards too soon, but spoiler alert, I really liked the movie. So come back next week for that. Micah and I are going to talk about that film. And then, like I said, at monsterkidradio.net, there's also a little poster showing what else we're doing this month on Monster Kid Radio and in the Monster Kid Radio network. Go check that out. I think that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. So why don't we go ahead and wrap things up by reminding you, as always, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Numbers Stations. That belongs to the surf band Lost Cosmonauts, and you can find it on their just-released EP, Ranger. You can find the band at Lost Cosmonauts and then the number one dot bandcamp.com or just look up Lost Cosmonauts on Facebook and follow the appropriate links. They gave us permission to play the song on the show this week. Big thanks to them. Go check out their music and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Eric M. Cook. I'm going to talk to everybody next week. Ciao. <laughs>